Come on, bro. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreats. He is sipping out the hearts of men before his judgment seats. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Amen. You know, we have quite the truth to carry out to a lost world. And that lost world doesn't get to hear the truth. The truth doesn't go marching on without you and without me. Allowing us to be used by God in ways that perhaps we never imagined. To be leaders in the kingdom of God in ways that we were never used in the world. So that God's truth can go marching on. Are you guys with me here this morning? Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. As you know, we've been studying out in the scriptures the DNA of being a disciple. Because when we were born again, God transfigured us. He transformed us. We became new creations in Christ. And we were given new blood flowing through our veins and new DNA in that blood. And we need to know what it looks like to really be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 6, we see an issue arising in the first century church. Of course, we can't relate here in the Seattle church. Amen? Amen. We don't have issues around here. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, and that's been these days, amen, guys? The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give them our and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Oh, how I wish someone would get me a glass of water. You know, right here, there is an issue arising in the church. An issue that's been exposed in the church. My wonderful, uh, mighty woman of God. Yes. 
crossing enemy territory to grab me a cup of water. I don't have the faith of David to pour it on the ground now. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a, an issue arising in the church, and there are a group of people in the church that are being overlooked. It's, it's never encouraging to be that disciple. You all your friends get their D times that week, except for you. Or your discipler, come to find out, has been in touch with all the other disciples, except for you. And you just feel like the hand of God is against you for some reason. The other sisters got to go on dates last weekend. The other brothers got to go over to Joel's house for a nice dinner. Thanks, Joel. But you can't. Overlooked. You ever been there before? Well, there's some wonderful, awesome, guarded, amazing sisters in the church, and their needs are being overlooked. And it came to the attention of the top leaders. All the apostles come together, and they get all the church together. And they go, listen, guys, this is an issue, and we got to deal with this issue in the church. However, we are not responsible for personally dealing with the issue. Trust me, you don't want us spending our time dealing with these issues because then the, wor the, the, the world can't be evangelized. The church cannot move forward. The word of God will not go marching on. So we need to find other people that are willing to step up and become leaders so that these needs can get met. You guys with me here? There are just certain issues in the church, not that leaders aren't willing to get involved in, but it just wouldn't be right to neglect the preaching of the word, being in all these Bible studies, advancing the kingdom of God so that the needs get met. There are other people that need to see this as an opportunity to step up and be used by God in a great way. You know, it's amazing. Not every church is perfect. Every church is going to have their issues to some degree. And I think we can all agree and say amen on that. But you know what? In a sense, the church is perfect in a, in, because it's never going to get overcome by the devil. Right. The gates of Hades will never overcome the gates of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The world is full of denominations and different churches that do not have the church go marching on, and eventually their doors close. Mm -hmm. That will never happen in the kingdom of God. Of God. Though there are issues and it may look imperfect, yep. it is all powerful because it's under the sovereignty of God. Yeah. And I do believe that sin needs to be dealt with once it's brought to the light. Yeah. We cannot tolerate the sin in the church. Many commentators would say perhaps that there was some prejudice going on in the church. And the Christian widows weren't, weren't getting their needs met because the Hebraic leaders were not taking care of the Grecian women. Mm -hmm. And so they picked Grecian men to take care of the Grecian women. They had to make sure that there was not going to be any more prejudice in the church. Yeah. And there can never be any prejudice in God's church. Amen. I mean, in a day where the world is divided by prejudice, not in the kingdom of God. There needs to be absolute holiness and love in the kingdom of yes. God. Yeah. I so much appreciate Tamara's song. Come on, Tamara. I actually asked her to sing it several months ago. She's been really warming up and practicing to share with you what she did today. Yeah. It's an incredible song. The first time I heard it was by a woman at church singing a rendition of 
Kirk Franklin's version of it. Amen. And it's all about, it doesn't matter what color you are, but Amen. because your blood was red, yep. we can all be saved in Christ. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, although there may have been an issue of prejudice here in the church, the leaders were not going to tolerate it. Yeah. And they came up with a solution that was going to fix that problem. You know, when sin is exposed in the church, when it's exposed in your life, when it's exposed in the lives of your roommates, it does need to get dealt with. And there are two different ways that we can deal with sin in the church. The first way, it's kind of like in Joshua chapter 7. Achan has taken some of the devoted things to God and he's hidden it in his tent and buried it under the rug in the living room. And because of that, God's hand was against all of God's people. And so everyone saw the hand of God and they felt the pain as their friends and family members were being killed in war and they knew something was up. So they bring it to God and God exposes the sin even more. And then once they realized where the sin was coming from, they were able to deal with it. Mm -hmm. The first way you, you can deal with sin is you bring it to God. Yeah. You let God deal with it swiftly. Yeah. But the second way... It's kind of like Phineas in Numbers chapter 25. Phineas was kind of a young, zealous Jewish leader. And he saw one of the other leaders bring a Moabite woman into a tent to sleep with her. And he was filled with an indignation and a zeal of God. He grabbed his spear. He goes in that tent and he shish kebabs the both of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he meant business. Yeah. Yeah. The second way you deal with sin is you just engage it yourself. Yeah. You grab your spear, you grab your sword, and you deal with the sin. Yeah. Come on, Jesse. But to tolerate sin, Jesse's really good at that. <laughs> but to tolerate sin is sin itself. Amen. So what do they do? They choose men full of of the spirit, yes, but wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Men that have the knowledge and the fire and the zeal and the shrewdness yes. and the wisdom to deal with the issues appropriately. You know, it's kind of like the whole zeal without knowledge thing. You got the brothers that are more fire and brimstone and they just want to go handle the situation. But then you got the other brother that's got the desire, but not so much zeal and is a little passive about dealing with it. That's why, that's why I, I, I love the kingdom of God. We have the best of both worlds. We have yes. people of all kinds of backgrounds. Yes. Yes. We got some passive disciples. We got some overly aggressive disciples. And together we kind of balance each other out. <laughs> the title of our message this morning is full of the spirit and wisdom. I want to encourage you all of, I want to encourage all of you today. To set your mind to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Yes. Yes. To become a leader in God's kingdom. We need leaders in God's kingdom. Yes, sure. And far too often a young Christian will mistake being a leader in God's kingdom for you got to lead the whole church in God's kingdom. You don't got to lead the whole church. You got to have set, set dreams to lead somebody to Christ. Right. Eventually you want to lead a whole Bible talk that can lead people to Christ. Right. Perhaps one day, if the Lord sees you fit, you will oversee several Bible talks. We may call that a house church. Yeah. You may oversee several house churches, and we may call that a sector in the church. 
You may do so well with that. Maybe the Lord gives you a few sectors. You go on staff and you get to oversee a region in the church. And maybe if everything goes well, the Lord will give you a church or many churches. But there's always an area that you and I will be able to lead at. You may look around and you go, well, I haven't led anyone to Christ in a while. Go find someone and lead them to Christ. And now you're a leader. Amen? Amen. Amen. We can be full of the Spirit, but also full of wisdom. Wisdom, of course, is the application of that knowledge. Being able to take everything that you're learning and apply it in a practical way and teach other people to learn these practicals as well. Look over in Hebrews chapter 5. You know, one of the core aspects of being a disciple is setting your eyes on leadership. Not in a selfish ambition sort of way, or an arrogant or proud sort of way, but in a way that's humble to be used by God at any level of leadership capacity. You guys with me this morning? In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, we read this remarkable passage, and it says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand. I kind of like the old NIV version. It says, you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk still being an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, we can go in this mindset sometimes where we go, man, I'm over the solid food. I need some other kind of solid food. (laughs) Or, you know what, I'm just going to mature myself beyond the milk, and we're going to go get some solids now. There are times where Addie's crawling on the floor, our little 10-month-old daughter, and she will find a solid on the floor. Now, Courtney and I know better, that's not good for you to eat. You don't have the tea. You don't have the development. If you try to eat solids, it's going to harm you. So we keep the solids out of our hands. Amen? Amen. Some of us, we, we can become proud and we can think, well, it's time for me to move on from milk and it's time for me to get on to some solid food. And then after a while, you have some solid food and you start to feel proud and you go, I need some better food. Let me tell you, no matter what age you're at, milk is still good for you. Yeah, right. It's always good to go back to the basics. Amen. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying in the foundation of repentance from actually to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. You know, for many years, I misread this passage. And I thought, if I can constantly use the scriptures, if I can be trained by another man and train myself, then eventually I will get myself to move on to become a joy. And I've used analogies, like in basketball, where, you know, you go to practice for a little while, you, you, you learn the skill sets, you apply them to yourself, and eventually you don't need a coach, you can just go out there and play a little bit. But what the scripture teaches right here is that you can constantly use the scriptures, be trained by the scriptures, yet the Lord may not move you on to maturity. I love what it says right here. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings. We've got to be taken forward to maturity. 
God permitting, we will do so. Yes. Let us is a request. Be taken implies a fellowship. God permitting means his sovereignty is what decides if you will become mature. You are not 100% in control of how mature you become. Therefore, we need the milk. You need the milk to wash down the solids. We need to move God to move us. God has to move you, take you forward, permit you to mature. You have to move God's heart so that he can move your heart. I'm going to ask, is God impressed by your prayers? Good question. Mm -hmm. Have you been moving God with your prayers? Is it a to-do list? Mm -hmm. Is it something you got to put in your calendar? Something that you might forget about if you don't write it down? We've got to impress God with our lives and with our prayers. Are you moving God? To be full of the Spirit and wisdom, God must fill you. This is not 100% dependent upon your efforts. Look over in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked the favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand, and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I think it's kind of funny that the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, had a very thunderous mom right here. I mean, she's obviously full of a lot of passion, too. And she comes before Jesus, and she's got the boys, and they all kneel down. And she looks up at Jesus and goes, I got one special favor to ask you, Lord. May this son sit at your right, and may this son sit at your left. And Jesus, of course, responds with, well, can you drink the cup? That I'm going to drink. And I think it's kind of funny how they responded. It wasn't mom at this point. So you could tell that the sons really wanted this too. They're like, yes, we can, Lord. He goes, okay, well, you will. You will. But I don't get to make that decision. 
where you're going to sit in the kingdom of God. It's up to God. God has prepared a place for you. And church, God has prepared a place for you. And for you. And for you. And for you. God has prepared a place for you. Whether it's going to be your kingdom dream or not. Whether it's going to be someone else's vision for you or not. You can trust and take confidence that God has prepared a place for you. You know, for those seven in Acts 6, I don't know if they saw it coming. I don't know if they, if they saw the need and that they took initiative or if they got nominated for the role. But seven of them get selected to meet the needs of those Grecian women. You know, this role was going to be a role of servitude. And that's what leadership is. It's not being the guy with the most authority so you can exercise it over people. No, that's what worldly leaders do. It's about becoming the greatest servant. Being willing to drop everything for the sake of somebody else. It's those midnight emergency phone calls. It's the meeting up for three hours in the middle of the night for an emergency marriage detox. It's the denying yourself of whatever pleasures you were looking forward to so that you can go out and serve somebody else's needs. And this is the call for all of us. This is the call for you to serve each other. Why? Because you trust that God has prepared a place for you. Amen. You serve others because you're serving God. And that's what leadership is all about. The first cup we're going to talk about this morning is, can you drink the cup of servitude? You know, there are a lot of cups to drink in leadership. And we're not going to go down the list. But I've got three cups that I think just get your foot in the door to start thinking about leadership. You know, church... Coming out to service is all about giving. At church, the only thing we should be taking on a Sunday morning is communion. (laughs) Everything else is about you giving. Giving encouragement. Giving your servitude. Giving and serving and being warm amongst the fellowship. You know, we don't want a fellowship of hermits where we just got to show up Take, 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 and then take off. But we've got to be focused on serving and giving. Come on, Joel. You know, especially in a service right now, where we look around and we have so many awesome young Christians in the fellowship. It's so important that we're teaching them by example and through the scriptures how to serve at many different capacities. I mean, I just love hearing young Christians share their testimonies. I love seeing young Christians just serving and ushering. I love seeing young Christians like Tamara get up and sing a solo during communion. I love when young Christians are parsing and just giving. Why? Because I remember back in those days when that's where I started. I was an usher for years. I led the worship service in Chicago for years. That was my role, and I get so excited because I go, wow, these young Christians, this is just a little phase they're going through before they go to the next phase, but I know God's going to bless them in a great way. I know if this is out of a a humble, self 
sacrifice sort of heart, man, God's going to bless him in a great way. Yeah. You know, growing up, yeah. every single Sunday, my dad would drive us to church, and every week in the car, he would give us a good talk, and he'd always quote at some point in our conversation, today you got to be warm and you got to be giving. And he'd prep my sister and I to be giving and outgoing, and that's really how we're training our children. Man. Every Sunday, when, when we grab our, our kids, we're like, okay, guys, be warm, be giving. You, you, you see them running around, and they're giving everyone hugs and saying hi, and maybe acting a little crazy because he's three years old, but that's training that we've given him. That's awesome. Yeah. These are conversations that we've had, and everyone needs that same sort of training. Yeah. Yeah. we got to come to church, not ready to take and, and take all the energy, but ready to give, ready yeah. to serve, yeah. ready to lay our life down. For one another. You know, this really taught us to come to church prepared. And now I have a deep conviction to this day when I come to church, I need to be prepared. Right. I don't just show up, but I got a mindset of who I'm going to fellowship, mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about, how I can be warm, what they need, the encouragement that I can give. We need to be prepared for church services. Yeah. You know, when we focus on ourselves, only bad things happen. We get selfish, we get yeah, insecure, we don't get the encouragement we're looking for, yeah, right. we start blame shifting everything, when you just gotta look in the mirror and be the example that you're hoping for. Amen. You know, when we were down in Los Angeles last week, and you guys would have been so proud of Courtney. I mean, she was... Two different women's days, both had over two to one visitors wow. to disciples wow. at their women's day. Uh, she did such an amazing job in their sharing. Very critical woman came up to her afterwards and said, there was nothing wrong about your lesson. It was flawless. I mean, it was, it was amazing just to see her radiant and fired up. And I got pulled aside by one of the married guys. And probably one of the greatest compliments a married guy can get is, dude, your wife looks Radiant. Amen. And I got pulled aside by one of the evangelists in LA and he said, Your wife looks radiant. You can't fake that love, that, that kind of radiance. Oh, and of course, I was just so proud of her all weekend long. She did such an amazing job. I mean, it was so good. Even at one of the lessons, someone asked her for an autograph, which is another story for another day. But, you know, while we were down there, we stayed till Tuesday and we got to go to the Los Angeles staff meeting on, on Tuesday morning. And it was all the way out in Santa Clarita, way, way, way out in the desert and we, we get out there and we had staff at a vineyard and all the vines had been pruned I had never been to a vineyard before I kind of in my ignorance imagined the vine that just had like lots of grapes on it I didn't understand the whole process behind how it worked but when you go to a vineyard there's actually thousands and thousands of vines and I can only imagine Jesus in John 15 saying hey guys check out this vineyard pretty cool huh well, I am the true vine. Wow. There's a lot of vines. You can grow yourself in all these different kind of ways. But trust me, this is the true vine right here. And Jesus, being the true vine, challenges us in John 15 to remain in him. And there's all different kinds of branches on the vine. I mean, yeah. You got thick branches, you got thin branches, new branches, little branches. And one of the things I noticed is that the thicker, older branches were cut shorter. I mean, literally right down to the vine. No, no, just right down to the vine. And that's how they pruned a vine. They cut the branches off. But then the newer ones, the, the, the longer ones and thinner ones, they were cut 
much higher up. And I thought, wow, the longer we remain in the vine, the more we get cut. Right. And you know, some of us disciples that have been around a little while, we know what that feels like. Amen. <laughs> but you know, some of the vines look a little more brown than others. Yeah. And some of the branches are a little more brown than others. And the vibe that you get, and this was clarified by one of the gardeners, the vibe that you get is that some of the vines are dying. And what happens to a vine is it dies, is the branches first begin to die. And you can tell because they bear less and less and less fruit. No matter how much you prune it, it's just dying. And so what happens is they have to be cut off. Because a branch will get so desperate to stay alive that they'll suck all the nutrients out of a vine just to stay alive. They won't even bear any fruit for you, but they'll suck all the nutrients out, and eventually the other branches start to die. Because all the nutrients are just going to that one branch. And so they got to cut them off all the way. You can't leave anything left because you just can't afford to lose all your branches and all your potential fruit to save that one branch. These branches are called suckers (laughs) because they literally just suck up all of the energy. You know, as we remain in the vine, we don't want to be suckers. Don't be a sucker, amen? Don't be a taker. Don't, don't take all the nutrients and attention and encouragement when you could be giving and flourishing. Let God use you. Take up the cup of servitude. Come on. Number two, can you drink the cup of selflessness? Look over in John, chapter 12. You know, as a kid, my dad would always, in our little training and discipling times and corrections and disciplines and all that, a lot of times, one of the things he would say to me is, Joel, the the world does not revolve around you. (laughs) And I never fully understood what that meant until a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Because my mom came to town. And my mom had her stuff and she literally had an entire suitcase. And it was just full of many of my childhood memories. Cards that I've received, cards that I've written, and a lot of my artwork. I used to be an artist. (laughs) The original Joel was an artist, but those days have passed. (laughs) And you know, it was so funny. I've just selected a few to share with you this morning. Yeah! You know, so many of my cards fit that description of sin so well <coughs> believing that the world revolved around me you know right here is a Valentine's Day card Valentine's Day card that I, I made for my mom and put a little Hershey kiss on the back <laughs> you know my heart beats for you happy heart day be my Valentine you know bears cuddling I'm yours and inside is a little note that I wrote to my mom it says to mom and dad I love you. When are we going to the hockey game? <laughs> I wonder if we can get Cody or some more dog treats. And I want to get a haircut soon. Happy Valentine. 
another one. Oh. Happy birthday, buddy. Oh, no. oh, oh. Streamers on there. Streamers. Inside, I wrote a little something. Papa, Brittany, Joel, Cody, Mommy. Dear Mommy, I love you. I want to go out for ice cream. Jesus. 
Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. You know, Jesus' life, his heart, exemplified a selflessness to the max. He didn't just give up his life. He gave up his dreams. He gave up his feelings. He gave up his reputation. He gave up his family. He gave it all up. Everything Jesus did revolved around a single idea. He had one goal in mind. Everything he said, everything he taught, everything he did, everything he did into places that he went, the people that he met, everything revolved around one idea. Your salvation. The Bible says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The shame of the cross. I've got good news for you. You are his joy. He did it all for you. And now he calls you so that you can call others. You know, as disciples... Everything we say, everything we teach, everything we do, everything we don't do, the places that we go, the people that we meet, everything needs to revolve around others. This is how a seed produces another seed. It must die. It must fall first. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. You know, some... People are mistaken in thinking that they're saved so that they can go to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct. Heaven is the ultimate goal. But if you are saved just to go to heaven, you're going to live a very selfish discipleship. I mean, if that were the case, then we would have risen out of the waters of baptism after believing in the gospel after repenting from our sin and becoming disciples and being baptized in the water for the forgiveness of our sins we would have risen to a new life and just ascended up into heaven like Jesus but the purpose of us being born again was not just to go to heaven but God left you here on earth and after Jesus rose from the dead God left him here on earth And the Bible teaches that for 40 days, Jesus went around teaching about the kingdom of God. Some of us in this room, we just need to get saved. But to those of us who are saved, our job is to save others. You know, Jesus resurrects from the dead, preaches the kingdom of God for 40 days. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. He, why? He's going after all of the followers. He builds a movement on 120 restorations. 
And then he ascends into heaven. You know, this means the same for us. Come on, Joel. We are to go after the lost. Yeah. Be it they were once saved and had fallen away, or they've never been saved. But our job as seeds is to die yeah. and fall yeah. so that we can see other seeds born again. Yeah. Come on, Joel. Can you drink the cup of selflessness? Amen. And lastly, can you drink the cup of radical consistency? Come on, Joel. Look over in Luke chapter 21. You know, I once heard from a, uh, in a sermon from a preacher that the most radical thing we can do is be consistent. Yeah. And I have to say, I do. In Luke chapter 21, at the very end here in verse 37, it says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the nights on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. You know, I love the fact that every morning Jesus went to the temple and every night he went to the Mount of Olives. What was at the Mount of Olives? The Garden of Gethsemane? His prayer spot? The rock that he laid his head? This was home for him. And every night he would go and spend quality time praying to God. You know, one of the most important things of discipleship is creating spiritual habits. Yeah. Your relationship with God cannot be a phase. It cannot just be a list of things to do or a list of things not to do. But habits that you can go to that are going to sustain you in your walk with God. We need to be able to go to these habits when things get tough. Yes. Where did Jesus go the night before his betrayal? The night before his death, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. The same place that he went every night. And he was spending time with God. Look over in 1 John chapter 2. Come on. How often, brothers and sisters, do we get tempted to turn to worldly things in times of trouble? And they're not even all that bad. The consequences are not going to kill you. But a little extra Netflix, a bunch of ice cream, a few bars of chocolate, some Reese's peanut butter cups, a large pizza, Mountain Green. Where do we go for comfort? We must go to God and not to these worldly things. I've been there. I went there last night. <laughs> <laughs> it's about midnight. I was about to go to sleep. Oh, no. Got a little craving. Went down to the kitchen. Opened the fridge. <laughs> it was empty, so no problem there. <laughs> then I went to the cupboard. Oh, no. Where the snacks are. Not <laughs> breakfast snacks. I didn't know. But I tell you this morning, I overcame the devil. <laughs> I pulled it out. I looked through it. I picked up an awesome snack. And I put it all back and I went to bed. Amen. First <laughs> John chapter 2. Verse 15. If I can overcome, you can overcome. Amen. Amen. Do not love the world or anything. 
anything in the world. If anyone loves the world. If anyone loves the world. Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The goal is every day and every night. The Bible teaches in James chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When struggles come along, don't turn to ice cream. Don't turn to your favorite snacks. Turn to God in prayer. The world and its desires will pass away. It is encouraging to look in the mirror and know outwardly we are wasting away. That is a bit encouraging for me. To know that when I go to heaven someday, I get a new body. But the world and its desires and my flesh will pass away. But there's nothing more important than your soul. And we certainly don't want to pass away with the rest of the world. In Acts chapter 6. We see the incredible example of these serving Selfless, radical new leaders in the church. After they're selected, in verse 6 it says, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I'm telling you, the more serving, the more selfless, the most consistent and radical leaders are going to see fruit in the church. Not like in verse 1 where it's increasing, but increasing rapidly. Come on, Joe. Like in verse 7. It's been incredible to be a part of the Seattle church. It's been so awesome to be a disciple the last couple months. And to see so many new baptisms. To see so many new faces at church. To have our highest attendances ever. To see more investment than ever. To see people fired up and to get Danny on staff and get Ingrid on staff. It's been so awesome. We've been seeing the number of disciples increasing. Amen. After seeing Joe place membership from the ICOC today, we're now at 53 disciples. Isn't it incredible? Yes. But I look forward to getting to verse 7. Come on. Where we're increasing rapidly. Not just increasing. Increasing rapidly. What's it going to take? It's going to take you and you and you and you and you stepping up to be used by God to be a leader in his kingdom. Full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Our goal, church, 
is not to get down to Tacoma or up to Vancouver or out to Spokane or over to the ocean. <laughs> Our goal is far greater than that. Yes. The Bible teaches that God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. To not just hit all the homes in the Northwest, but to go to every house, every hut, and every heart in the world. And that's only going to happen when the number of disciples is increasing rapidly. And then those disciples are being taught to obey, being called to lead, given opportunities to serve. With a selfless heart. And then we will see the radical, the rapid growth Mm -hmm. of the first century church. Let's leave here today. Let's make plans. Let's have dreams. And let's be focused on God. So he will fill us with the spirit and fill us with his wisdom. Amen. Amen.